That definitely was one of the longest readings. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but I was halfway through it, I started kind of daydreaming about some other things. And I was like, wait, let me, let me focus back. But as we kind of hear this long reading, I think it gives us a real understanding of what our relationship with God should be. So I want, us, I want to pose a question for us to begin to reflect about and to think about. The question is, who is God for you? You've heard me harp on this all the time, but I want us to continue to wrestle deeper with this question. Who is God for you? If we listen to how the question is phrased very carefully, who is God for you? I'm not asking you to quote me what the catechism says. I'm not asking you to quote for me what the, what the Bible says who God is. I'm not asking you to give me a quote that you found as a good response to this question to define who is God. God is one person, two natures, the, the whole nine yards. But who is God for you? The question attacks at its very core the question of faith. Do we have faith? And do we have an intimate and personal encounter with our Lord Jesus Christ? Or do we have a personal encounter with God? Because who is God for you requires you to speak from an experience of God requires you to have that encounter and for you to apply it into your daily life. We see this very clearly in our gospel reading with Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. The first key that you should have heard was when they presented a question to Jesus, an urgent message to Jesus and said, your best friend, the one you loved, is ill. It's not a coincidence the word love is used in that statement. The one you love is ill. It speaks to the fact that we ourselves are meant to be in relationship with God. We are meant to have this personal encounter with Him. But we begin to see the challenges and the difficulties of having this personal encounter. And we begin to see that in Martha's reaction. Because her expectation in sending that message to Jesus was the fact that he, because he loved Lazarus so much, Martha believed that he would rush to Lazarus' side to heal him. This relationship with God, for, from our perspective, is something that of convenience. I, I'm going to relate to God. I'm going to be in a relationship with God only when it's easy, when it's convenient, when I can get something out of it, when I can use my relationship to manipulate others for my own benefit and gain. But that's not the loving relationship God calls us to. The next thing we get is Jesus' response. If we listen to it very carefully and go back and look at it, Jesus says, the illness is not the 
not to end in death. This is the snarky comment Jesus gives. Oh, I'm glad he's dead. If you love someone in our, in our relationship with him, I don't know about you, but that kind of comment from a friend is just like, oh, forget about it. We're done. If we truly love and care for each other, would you not want to come help? Would you not want to come to my aid when I'm in need? Would you not want me to be there when I'm struggling? It's great. But what we forget is everything that God does is in his time. We want him to work in our time. We want him to do what we want. We want it to be convenient for us. But we hear that latter response, everything is for the glory of God. I don't know about you, but when we say it's for the glory of God, it's going to be kind of difficult. Because it requires me to give, to trust, to abandon myself over to the timetable of God as I'm suffering, as in I'm, when I'm in trial, when I'm in tribulation. I have to hand myself over to God and know that it's for his greater glory. I remember a couple years ago, as, as I was sitting at the bedside of my grandfather, this question came up. How can it be for your greater glory? For six years of my seminary career, I was praying constantly for both him and, and his wife, my grandmother, that they would still be alive to see me walk up the altar and celebrate Mass. It was literally four months before my diaconate ordination. It was right as COVID was about to hit. He comes to my father, a man who, who pain is nothing for them, nothing for him. And he was carrying this pain within himself for months on end, and no one knew about it. He was just like himself. He was just so happy and joyful. But he came up to my dad one day and said, I need to go to the hospital. I'm in so much pain right now. So my dad took, take him to the hospital. He gets all his tests done. And I get a FaceTime from my dad, which is kind of odd, especially in the middle of the day for him. And he tells me, your grandfather has stage four colon cancer. And he shows me grandfather, he's smiling, he's happy. And then he takes back the phone and says, he's coming home but he's coming home on hospice. And so I'm thinking to myself, how is this for your greater glory, God? How is this possible? Because this doesn't look like it's on your timeline. It's not, how can I find glory in the fact that the man I looked up to, the man I truly treasured and endeared so much, the man that I wanted myself to become as I get to his age is now dying of stage four colon cancer. And the next time I would see him would be in his hospital bed, sedated with so much medication to keep him comfortable. And especially as, that, as he came home, everything in the world began to shut down because of COVID. So as I present this information to my seminary rector, 
He said, I can't let you go home. I can't let you stay home. But what I can permit you to do is constantly drive back and forth every day for as long as you can, for as much as you can, to be with family. So the first day I'm sitting at his bedside, holding his hand, trying to figure out how this is for your greater glory. We hear in our gospel reading today, Jesus then tells Martha and Mary and insists to his disciples that Lazarus has died and that I am glad for that glory, for I am glad for you so that you may believe. How can you be glad at someone's death? How, you can, how can you be glad at someone's suffering? And how is that for your greater glory? That question, that statement Jesus poses for us, ask us how deep can we really trust in him? How deep can our faith be in him, especially when it hurts? Especially when it's trying for our own faith. How can we make sense of all of this when there's no answer to any of those questions? When our prayers and when our time on our knees, we're hoping that there's going to be an answer and a response from God, and instead all we get is empty silence. How can that be for his greater glory? And how can a God say, Lazarus has died, and I am glad for you that you may believe? It stretches, it stretches us. It makes us uncomfortable. It makes us weary and, and plead for God even more. But how many times have we been on our knees in those difficult moments more than we ever have in our life? How many times in those situations do we turn ourselves more over to God than we have in our life? How many times in those situations do we pray more to God and plead for his cause, seeking his love more than we have in our life? The challenge and difficulty is with our own human mind, it doesn't make sense. We hear in our gospel reading, the apostles didn't even understand that, that Lazarus is dead. They enter this dialogue, oh, Lazarus is just sleeping, he's fine. So we hear literally from the mouth of Thomas Didymus saying, oh yes, Lord, let us go to die with him. This opportunity in which we as humanity just regurgitate what we think is right. Kind of just like a parrot. We just speak and talk about these things about God that we think are the right answers, that's going to stick to the wall, that's going to be great. But we don't understand the gravity behind it. We don't understand the full purpose, the full meaning behind what he's trying to say within our lives and what he's doing within our lives. I didn't understand the gravity to trusting and loving God enough until I sat at my grandfather's bedside. I didn't understand the phrase, do you love me more than this? That word this was filled with my grandfather's name. Do you love me enough that you're going to give me and return him back to me? If God is love, then how does that make sense? 
How can God take someone I truly cherish, I truly love, and tell me that that is an act of love? Just like Didymus, we don't fully understand it. So we gurgitate, we say, yeah, Lord, I, I can do it. I can tell you so many times in my seminary life that I believe that I could give up my life and love God more than this. But when we come face to face with that reality, do we and are we able to do it? We continue in our gospel reading, seeing Martha come to Jesus, rushing as he's coming into the city, trying to plead with him, trying to change him, telling Jesus, if you were there, Lord, he would not have died. I don't care about it. You should have changed. Something should have changed. I've done everything I can. I love you so much. Why did the situation change? Why can't the situation change? Why can't my brother still be alive at this moment? But instead, he is dead. He is dead. Because you decided to take your time. Now you're here. And please, change something. Please work your magic. I want him alive again. We see the articulation of Martha's faith. The struggle just like you and I. We don't have full trust in God. We haven't completely turned ourselves over to God because we want something from him. We want him to do his magic so we're okay, so our life can be peaceful, so our kids can behave. We're going to pray away all the difficulties in the world and everything will be fine. It's just like walking through a field of dandelions with no cares in the world. That's what I want from God. That's what I want to do. That's what I want him to do in our life. But it's when we can answer the question, who is God for you? Can we truly face those difficult moments in faith? Because who that person is informs every aspect of your life, feeds into every corner of your life, and allows us in the most difficult moments of life to completely and more fully trust in Him every day and every second of our life. But the question is, just like Martha, just like Mary, just like Lazarus, do we believe this? Do we believe that God can do this in our lives? Do we believe that he can take care of us? Because he mentions two times in the gospel reading, I am the resurrection. I am. It's not anyone else. God himself, Lord Jesus Christ, is the resurrection. I am. It speaks to who he is and who, who he can become for us if we trust in him that much more. We will gain eternal life. We will be with him forever. He will love us unconditionally. And the only thing that is asked of us is to respond to that love. But it begins very much at our very ba basic question. Who is God for us? He's not a distant God 
who's not walking with us every day and every moment of our life. He's there in the good, the bad, the uglies, the ups and downs of life. He's there to love us unconditionally. He's there to take on our human weakness. He is there and conquered death so that we never leave him forever. So that it's not an end when we take our last breath here on earth. But do we understand that? Do we believe that? And have we experienced it for ourselves in that personal encounter and personal exchange with God? We come to this last week of Lent as we prepare ourselves for the greatest mystery of faith, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. We're about to enter that mystery next week. So do we really see that for us? So let us take this last week of Lent to ask ourselves and spend that week to wrestle with that question, who is God for you?